Uh, hey, my name is Benger. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace, and I'm just glad to be here today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Only Jesus, and what we've been doing is we've been walking through uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so if you've got your Bible, you can open that up uh, to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, you can open up the app on your phone. If you don't have either of those things, underneath your seat is a white Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at home um, and you'd like to steal one of these, we'd love for you to have it. Take it home, write your name in it, and uh, bring it back next week. We're going to be on page 572 in that Bible. Um, and Basically, every single week, uh, when, a, when a pastor stands on the stage, when we prepare something, we always seem to think that what we say is important, right? I mean, we wear a microphone, we assume everybody wants to hear it, right? Right? Maybe you don't know that. Yeah, we prepare all week, and we assume you're going to listen. I know, we, you know every week that's probably that way, but this week is really important to me and what we're going to talk about today. Because uh, you may not know this about my story, I didn't grow up in this thing called church. Um, when I was in college, I began kind of examining uh, who Jesus was. Um, I had a friend in high school who'd followed Jesus, and, and honestly, in many ways, my life was falling apart. And so when I went to college, I decided, you know, he goes to church, I'm going to try this whole church thing. And so I got involved in a Bible study, got involved in church I started hearing about who Jesus was, and over the course of that first semester, I gave my life to Jesus. I said yes to Jesus and began following him. Now, here's the thing. Over the first two years of my time following Jesus, the two years after that, um, I got one really important thing wrong. And I don't know if it's kind of the, the family I grew up in. Um, maybe it's because I wasn't all that familiar with the church. I don't know exactly where uh, I kind of picked it up along the way. But I assumed that when I started following Jesus, you know, I knew somewhere, yeah, Jesus forgave me. He died for me. I started learning about all those things and what it meant. But I assumed that there were still some rules I needed to follow, and if I didn't kind of toe the line, if I didn't fulfill these rules, if I didn't look a certain way, if I didn't behave a certain way, um, and, and you know, especially with kind of church culture, there's, there's different ways we're supposed to act. If I didn't fit in and do those things, then I wasn't really following Jesus. And over the, year, over the following months, over the next two years, uh, what happened is I began to put up kind of this facade because I believed I had to look a certain way to follow Jesus. I had to behave a certain way to follow Jesus. And in reality, in the background, my life was falling apart. Uh, but I kept up this facade, and, and it wasn't long that, that cracks in the facade began to show, and, and one day it just kind of all fell apart. And I'm grateful that it did, because it was at that point that I learned about the grace of Jesus. And I learned that it's really not about, okay, I have to follow these rules, and then I can follow Jesus. And maybe, maybe your story is somewhat similar to mine. Somewhere along the way, maybe it was something somebody handed you. Maybe it was something you picked up along the way. But somewhere along the way, you've come to believe that what it means to follow Jesus is to be handed a list of rules and you've got to do these things and you've got to do them the right way. And if you don't, then you're not really following Jesus. Maybe you're listening right now and you're like, isn't that just the way it is? Is there a different way? And that is why I am so passionate about what we're talking about today because Paul himself addresses this in his letter right where he kind of meets us today. So if you're here today and you've said, man, that's, that's where I've been or maybe somewhere along the way I believe that or maybe... Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. And part of the reason is because your story is kind of like mine, except for instead of, of trying to dive in and, and behave that way, you saw that and you said, no, if it's really just a list of rules, that's worthless. I want something different. And you walked away because somebody somewhere along the line said, you don't measure up. And you said, well, I guess I don't. And you walked out the door. And here you're back kicking the tires. 
So if that's where you are today, I'm glad that you're here because that's exactly what Paul kind of addresses in the passage we're in in Colossians. Now we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23, again in your white Bible, page 572. Um, this week, we're going to be in kind of part two of a, of a broader section. What Josh talked about last week was kind of part one of a whole section. And so we're going to back up. We're going to start in verse 16, but we're going to back up to verse 8 really quickly because verse 8 is kind of the thesis statement to the whole section. We listened to part one last week. We're going to be in part two. So verse 8 is kind of the thesis statement. This is what Paul says. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, what Paul is, is talking about here is he says, Make sure that you are not swayed. Make sure that now that you know Jesus, now that you know what Jesus did for you, now that you understand grace, Make sure that you're not swayed by anything that's not Jesus. He, what he's not saying is don't interact with people who believe differently. He's not saying don't interact with other worldviews. When somebody comes up to you and you're having a conversation and you find that you know, they believe something different, he's not saying close your ears and pretend like it doesn't exist. What he's saying is don't be swayed. Don't be taken captive. Don't be taken prisoner by something that's not Jesus. And then last week, we saw Paul kind of walk through this, and, and we heard how one of the reasons why we shouldn't be taken captive by anything that's not Jesus is because Jesus is God. And what's more than that is Jesus died for us. He brought us from death to life, not just kind of a, a one time, you know, he took care of some past sins, but he actually helped us cut off from our old lives, from our sin, and he transforms us from the inside out, and he brings us from death to life. And in addition to that, he has defeated any power that could possibly lay claim over our lives because he says, no, you're mine. Because I died for you, this one is mine. And so because of all those things, Paul says, don't be taken captive by anything that's not that because anything that's not that is worthless. Then we jump into the passage for today, starting in verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, therefore, so what we just talked about, Right, because of everything that, that Paul just talked about, because of who Jesus is, not being taken captive by anything that's not Jesus. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now we read this and we say, okay, I kind of, you know, maybe food and drink, maybe there's some laws about food and drink, but what is, what is Paul getting at? What is this? Sabbath? What, is, what are these festivals? What is this new moon? You see, in Colossae, there were a group of followers of Jesus who were from a Jewish background. And because Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Jewish religion, the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament, because everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, they said, boy, because, because this is our tradition, because Jesus is the fulfillment of our tradition, we still want to take part in some of these practices because they point to Jesus. And Paul actually had no problem with some of these kind of preferences. The issue was when these preferences of what it means to follow Jesus and, and right ways to do it turn into requirements. Now, what Paul's not talking about here is he's not talking about, you know, we're getting rid of moral absolutes. We're getting rid of anything like that. We had, we, we, anything is kind of a free-for-all. We just heard about how Jesus is the only thing worth putting our hope and our trust in. Now, what Paul is talking about is when preferences 
of what it means to follow Jesus and, and what it means to express that turn into requirements. In fact, I think it's a really cool thing that there's different kind of strains of, of Christianity, different kind of strains of Christian traditions around the world, right? Because what it looks like to worship God here, what it means to follow Jesus is different than a church that might believe wholly in Jesus and, and, and wholly in his grace. Like my friend in Gdansk, Poland, right? He, he went to Poland three, uh, seven years ago with his wife and they planted a church there. And when they started, the only people who were Christians in the church were the people who went to Poland to start a church. Everybody else, the 50 or so people who were there, were not followers of Jesus. So the way that they expressed that was much different than we would here. And it also will look different in underground churches in Asia and in the Middle East. Right? What Paul says here is the issue, there's actually two things wrong with it. The issue first is when preferences turn into requirements. What it seemed to be happening is people who had kind of followed these old traditions, which Paul in themselves didn't really have a problem with, but what happened is they were elevated kind of above actually following Jesus. They, they gained this importance such that they would look down on anybody who didn't practice them. Maybe it was somebody who had been raised in the Jewish tradition and they said, you know, now that I'm following Jesus, I'm going to leave these by the wayside. Or maybe somebody who, who hadn't been raised in that tradition. For whatever reason, they looked down on these people and said, boy, you know, you're not really following Jesus the way that you're supposed to. And Paul says that's, that's not okay because what you've done is you've turned preferences into requirements and then you started passing judgment on the way somebody else follows Jesus. Second issue Paul had with this is, is that these traditions, they were actually there uh, from, the, from the beginning of the history of Israel. They were actually there to point to Jesus. They were there to show our need for Jesus. Paul uses a metaphor where he says these were actually the shadow Jesus is the one casting the shadow. They were actually supposed to point to the existence of something greater, of the Messiah who would eventually come. And, and the image he gives is basically they were trying to embrace the shadow rather than embracing the body, the substance that was actually in front of them. So what they had done is Jesus was standing in front of them, but they said, no, we're going to chase this shadow. These are more important to us than actually following Jesus. Does that make sense? And Paul says that's when it becomes a problem. He goes on. Verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you. A little bit stronger language. Insisting on asceticism, on, on extreme poverty, on, on extreme fasting and denial of ourselves. And worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So whereas what he just addressed was this, this issue where people were, were, were kind of holding on to these traditions and placing them in importance above Jesus, there was also another problem. There was a group of people, maybe led by one teacher, who said, okay, this whole Jesus thing, right, that's kind of elementary school. Yeah, we need to be forgiven. Yeah, Jesus really did come to earth. But this is, this, it's kind of like, you know, grade school stuff. If you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to know how to worship God, if you really want to do it right, I've got something else for you over here. I've got these beings that you can worship. I've got this, these super spiritual methods where if you're not doing these methods, you're not really following Jesus. You're not really experiencing everything God has for you. If you're not doing these things, then you're just not spiritual enough. And it kind of created almost an inner circle. And the result was honestly pride. Because anytime we set up a way of saying, boy, this is the way to be really super disciples and, and be super spiritual, unless you're doing these things, you're not as good as anybody else. The result is pride. 
And Paul says, you know, the issue with that, he gives a different image here. He gives the image of a, of a body where Jesus is the head. And he says, those of us who are following Jesus, the body are attached to the head. And we might be in different places, but they're, they're kind of attached through ligaments and, and bones and the whole thing. And he says, when we move on from Jesus, what we've done is we've detached ourselves. We've stopped holding fast to the head. We've stopped holding on to Jesus, and we moved on to something else. Now, on the surface, sometimes when we, when we hear some of these options, they, they sound really, really good. They sound, oh, that's really open-minded. Maybe there's a different way, or maybe there's another way. But the same thing exists in this category as existed with holding on to traditions at all costs, even to the point of judging people who don't follow them. The issue with both of those are the same. They're not Jesus. You're not holding on to Jesus. Whether you're holding on to kind of old school stuff or whether there's something new and you say, okay, this whole thing, this Sunday morning, this whole Jesus thing, it's kind of elementary school. There's some other things that we can kind of incorporate that may not be Jesus, but they make me feel spiritual. And, and, and honestly, we're a little better than you if we practice them. Not only is there pride and judgment there, the same issue exists with both extremes. They're not Jesus. Then Paul gets to, to kind of the punchline in verse 20. He says, if with Christ, this is incredible, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you? I know that's the middle of a sentence, but we're going to stop right there for a second. Now, how would we expect a religious person to finish this sentence? Right? Okay, Paul, I guess he's a religious person. You know, he wrote much of the, the New Testament. I guess he's kind of spiritual. How would you expect somebody like me standing on this stage to complete the sentence? Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you keep drinking so much? Why do you do that at work? Why do you sleep with somebody who's not your spouse? Now, it's not that improving ourselves isn't important. It's not that Jesus doesn't transform us. But that's not how Paul finishes the sentence. He says, why? As if you're still alive in the world. You're living according to the world and not according to Jesus. Why do you submit to regulations? Submit to rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they were used. He's like, man, these rules about food, these rules about these other things, as you use them, they perish. According to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body of, 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 of harming ourselves, of, of extreme fasting to the point where, where we, we look sick and, and extreme poverty. But they have no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I mean, isn't that incredible? Paul warns against, why are you submitting to regulations? I mean, when you really think about it, it's incredible. What Paul is saying here, he's not saying that, that, that regulations of any kind don't matter. He's not saying that we don't have any boundaries. What he's saying is, what, if you are doing this, what you've really done is you've just submitted to another master that's not Jesus. Now, it looks spiritual, right? I mean, we like rules because they look good, don't they? We put on that face. We like rules because when we follow them, they look good. But it's no different than submitting to something else that we might consider more vicious. It's no different than submitting to something else like, like an addiction or an affair. Just like we can submit to sin, we can submit to rules that are really just 
making us self-righteous. And what's more, Paul says, they don't work. This isn't like a spiritual thing. This isn't a church thing. This is a think thing. I mean, this is why when, when we make New Year's resolutions, why the gym is full on January 1st, right? We say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set these boundaries for myself. They don't work. Now, they might work for a while. They might make us look good for a while, but at the end of the day, are they really changing us from the inside? I'm not saying goals aren't helpful. I'm not saying boundaries aren't helpful. But Paul's point is clear. When we submit to them, that's the issue. We're not submitting to Jesus. And at the end of the day, they don't work. Just like when I was in college, they make us put up a facade when our life is falling apart behind us because we can only keep that up for so long. They don't work. So what are we supposed to do? Well, you know, Paul, Paul is good. And his point here is really clear. Right? In, in, in verse 8, we looked at, at the thesis statement And Paul gave us kind of two choices. Submit to the ways of the world, these empty deceits, these empty philosophies, or submit to Jesus. Be taken captive by Jesus. And of course the implication is Jesus here, right? Because the only thing that changes us is Jesus. And Jesus himself actually addressed this long before Paul did. You see, there's a time um, when Jesus was, was uh, gathered. We don't know exactly if it was just his, kind of his core followers or if it was the crowd, people who were skeptics coming to hear him talk. But in Matthew 11, Matthew is one of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are found in the New Testament. We're going to flip to chapter 11. You can go there, but we're also going to have the verses on screen. And there's a time when Jesus is actually praying. And what he's doing is he's thanking God. It's one of the times where he kind of drops the veil and he reveals that he really is the son of God, that this is why he came, was to show who God was as God's divine son. And then when he's done with that, he kind of dives quickly into some teaching. And in chapter 11, verse 28, he says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this sounds good, right? This sounds like you go on a coffee mug, right? Because, man, I'm tired. Anybody else here tired? Man, it was, you know, we had a crazy week. It was Halloween week. Our kids were sick. I mean, it was, it was a long week. I'm tired. And we read this and we think, yeah, I'm weary. I'm tired. Jesus gives me rest. And that's certainly true. But there's a layer here that because we weren't in the shoes, we didn't grow up in the world of the people who were listening to Jesus say this for the first time, there's a layer that we miss. Because if you grew up in their world, if you grew up in this Jewish tradition, in this religious world, you would have been taught from a very early age all the laws and rules and regulations you needed to keep to follow God. Now these rules were originally given by Moses through the law, almost about 1,500 years before Jesus. But you see, over the years, because uh, they wanted to follow God, because things had been up and down, over the years, and especially in about the 100 or 200 years before Jesus, rules started being added to the 600 or so laws that are found in the law of Moses that were given to the Israelites. And basically what had happened was this. If God drew a line right here, They would say, listen, we don't want to come anywhere close to this line. So we're going to draw a new line over here. We're going to add to that rule. And so we don't get anywhere close to the line. We're going to draw a line right here. And we can't cross that line. We got a new rule. 
And now that that rule is not good enough, we're going to draw another line because we found people were kind of crossing this line and getting too close to that line. So we're going to draw, we're going to put down another rule and draw a line right here. We're not getting any close to that line. And what had happened, depending on what strain of Judaism you would have grown up in, if you kind of grew up in the boonies, if you grew up in rural areas, or if you grew up in Jerusalem, you would have different sets of laws. And over time, what was meant to be a blessing, and remember what Paul said, what was meant to point people to Jesus, to, to point to the fact that there is a Messiah coming, that there is somebody who is coming who will save us, who will fulfill this law, what had been a blessing was turned into a burden. In fact, later on in Matthew, Jesus is kind of railing on the religious leaders, right? One of the times that Jesus got the most angry was against religious leaders. And he said, woe to you Pharisees. One of the things he said to him is that you tie up heavy burdens for people to bear, but you don't lift a finger to help them carry it. And so when Jesus said these words, the people who were listening, they understood exactly what he was talking about. There was a layer there they didn't miss. Jesus was talking about these burdens and the burdens of trying to follow God on our own power and try to have self-righteousness, self-made righteousness, where we have the rules and we have it right. Those are the burdens that Jesus was talking about, at least in part. And this is what he says next. In Matthew 11, verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you. One of the sayings uh, that rabbis would say during this time when people really wanted to follow God and when they would grow up, they would say, hey, take the yoke of God's law upon you. And they knew it was heavy. And they kind of prided themselves on it if they could carry it. Look, I follow the rules. I can carry this burden. Why can't you? Right? A yoke was something you put on uh, an animal in order to carry a burden. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And why is this burden light? It's because Jesus has no expectations of us whatsoever. Now, following Jesus is difficult. The reason why his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because the burdens the burdens of the law, the burdens of trying to be self-righteous, these burdens of just trying to work our way toward God, Jesus' yoke is easy because he has already borne those burdens for us. He has already borne these burdens for you. And so to those of us who have come in here weary, not just because it was a long week, not just because our kids were sick, but those of us who came into this room weary because we have believed, we have carried this image of God that unless we follow the rules, unless we, we do everything right, we're not really following God. But Jesus corrects that. He says, no, take my yoke upon you because I have already borne that burden. I have already died for your sins. I have already paid your debt. I have already given you my righteousness. You don't have to earn it. I have clothed you with my righteousness that I earned by being obedient, by being sinless, by being the perfect lamb of God that died on the cross for you and rose again from the dead. Jesus has already borne those burdens for you. I mean, thinking back to what Paul said, remember, these laws, these things that he was talking about, these traditions, we had turned them from being, you know, kind of road signs that were supposed to point people to Jesus. 
we had turned those into stop signs, saying, listen, you can't follow God unless you do these things, and so if you can't do it, you might as well stop, you might as well turn around, you might as well forget the whole thing, because God isn't going to be there for you unless you do these things. And the reality is, while we were still in our sin, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And because of that, Jesus can say to you, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, the only thing that transforms us is, is Jesus. And Paul says, listen, you got two choices. You can submit to the ways of the world, which on, on the surface sometimes sounds wise. While that's something new, there's something I can improve on. But the reality is it's just as harsh of a master as addiction. It's just a harsh, as harsh of a master as sin. Because it will master you. There's no way that we can possibly measure up to any human-made rules. No, the only alternative is to submit to Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, I got a list of 75 rules where if you can just start with number one. No. Take Jesus' yoke upon you. What yoke are you carrying that is not Jesus' yoke? What burden are you carrying? Get rid of it. Cast it off. Take Jesus' yoke upon you. For his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It might look differently depending on where you're sitting this morning. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and somewhere along the way you've come to believe that unless you're following the rules, unless you're following these expectations, maybe they're expectations that were handed to you, maybe it's something you've picked up along the way, but unless you're doing these things, you can't follow God or God doesn't love you as much. The best you can hope for is that maybe God tolerates you. Maybe that's where you sit and you've been carrying that burden. Cast that burden aside and put Jesus' yoke upon you. Maybe you're listening and you've realized that, that you've been one of the people where instead of putting a roadside down that would point people to Jesus and say, hey, try this. Jesus is that way. This is the way it worked for me. You've actually put up stop signs and said, unless you can do it this way, you can't follow Jesus. What people need more than anything than a stop sign is an arm of a friend puts their arm around them and says, listen, let me walk with you on your journey to Jesus. Maybe you're in the category where you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical. I get that. That's where I sat. Maybe somewhere along the way, somebody like me, on a stage like this, in a building like this, gave you the impression or told you outright that following Jesus is about taking a bucket of do's and don'ts. And if you can follow those things, then come back later. I've got more for you. And then if you can do those, then maybe you're, maybe you're good enough to follow Jesus. If that's how Jesus was presented to you, I am sorry. That is not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Today, November 5th, is a great day to say yes Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, wouldn't it be incredible, wouldn't it be refreshing 
If when somebody walks through those doors who maybe is skeptical, maybe for the first time, maybe isn't really sure where they are with Jesus, maybe again just kind of kicking the tires, maybe coming back. And, and, and when people walk through those doors for the first time, I mean, what, what are they expecting when they come through the doors? They're expecting to be handed a bucket of do's and don'ts. Whether, whether that's fair or not, because of their experience, they expect to be handed, here's a list of things to do, and then you can be part of this community. That's why guys come in here with their arms crossed sitting in the back, just waiting for the pastor to tell them, quit drinking, quit watching so much football, spend, so much time, spend a little bit more time with your family. Of course he's going to ask for money, right? Which, to be fair, I didn't today. Josh did, okay? It's not me. Or women when they walk through that door. Now, I don't know a lick of thing about women, so I had to ask my wife. But what if instead of when they came in here and they've got the face on and they're just waiting to be handed a bucket of do's and don'ts and it looks good, but they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, that, that they're not going to measure up in some way and there's some sort of unwritten rule. Instead of being handed a list of do's and don'ts, what if people walked through those doors and all they were handed was Jesus and only Jesus? Because we listen to this and, and we say, well, of course that's not me. I believe in grace. I guarantee you somewhere in your soul, there's something you believe about God. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's something you believe that if you crossed this line, if you went too far, that's it. Maybe, you, maybe it's explicit for you. Maybe you say, boy, these people with these kinds of sins, they can't follow Jesus. Maybe it's just something in your heart that's there and, and, and you don't articulate it, but it's in the way you behave and it, it comes through. What if we really believed that Jesus was enough? And when we did follow any rules, when we did follow any moral commands, when we did do what Jesus asked us to do, it's not because we think he's going to drop us as soon as we don't, but it's because we're grateful to him. Because of what he did for us, because of who he is. Wouldn't it be refreshing if when people come into our building, when people come into our small groups, all they receive is Jesus and only Jesus. Wouldn't it be refreshing if when your neighbors find out you go to church, and listen, I know that you keep that information aside for like two or three conversations when you meet a new neighbor, and then you tell them that you go to church because you don't want to be one of those crazy Christians, right? Okay, I get that, okay? But what if when they find out that you're a follower of Jesus, instead of encountering somebody who's self-righteous, who has this facade on, right? Everything's falling apart behind them. Yeah, we're good. What if they encountered somebody who was authentic and was honest about who they were and who God was transforming them to be, not because of anything they're doing, but because of who Jesus is. And the only hope they have is in Jesus. That's the kind of idea that could change the world, or at least South Davis County. We live in a world where people, when they hear about God, when they hear about Jesus, they imagine just a set of rules. And maybe that's fair, maybe it's not. But we can make an impact in that. But the first thing we have to do is we have to believe it ourselves. That Jesus is enough. And when we believe it, when others encounter us, then we'll be in a position where we can hand them only Jesus. Because only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can change. Only Jesus, friends. We're going to step into a time that we call communion. And, and what communion is, is it's remembering through the bread and the juice, it's remembering that the only hope we have 
is that Jesus' body was broken for us and that his blood was shed for us. Because on the night that he was betrayed, before he was arrested and, and, and hung on a cross to die, he had dinner with his friends. And, and before dinner, and during dinner, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And they didn't understand what that meant until afterwards. But what Jesus was saying is, listen, the only food you have, the only, the only religious traditions you need is just simply my body broken for you. And after dinner, he took a cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of many. The only hope we have is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So in a minute, Cassie and Peter are going to sing a song. And we've got bread and we've got juice up here. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter if this is your first time, if you've been part of our community before. If you put your hope and trust in Jesus, we invite you to take part and come up and take the bread and dip it in the juice. You can do this as a family. You can do this on your own. If you're gluten-free, we've got some elements back there on the sound booth. But what we're going to do is we're going to create this space where we remember that it's only Jesus and what he did for us that saves us and transforms us. And if you're here and, and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you just kind of stay put because, quite frankly, this won't mean as much to you as it, as it, as it does to us. But if today you have decided to say yes to Jesus, you have decided to put his yoke upon you and say, I'm going to cast off everything else. I'm going to follow Jesus because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. What an incredible first act as a follower of Jesus to take part in communion and take the bread, understanding that Jesus' body was broken for you and, and, and dip it in the cup because his blood was shed after I pray, you can come up. We'll have people up here helping you with that. Then after that, we're going to sing a song, remembering the fact that the only hope we have is Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, I am sorry for the times where I have pre presented you as a list of rules or partially a list of rules. I am sorry for the times where I have believed that my relationship with you is based on the things I do and not what you did for me on the cross. God, as we remember that Jesus died for us through the bread and the cup, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, help us remember, help us internalize, help us live out this idea, this fact that the only hope we have is Jesus. It's Jesus, it's only Jesus. Our only hope, God, we pray these things in his name.